You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We begin this week's episode with our very first retraction. On last week's episode, I said this. Abortion rights will be on November's ballot after the State Bureau of Elections confirmed the initiative garnered enough signatures. Not so fast. The Michigan Board of Canvassers struck down two ballot initiatives Wednesday, one dealing with voting rights and security, and the other one to legalize abortion in the state. Beth LeBlanc from the Detroit News with Guy Gordon hours after the first decision came down. Uh, We choose to sign uh, those petitions. We expect to see the same language in the voting booth. Um, We do not expect to have leaders of certain parties um, rewriting what that language looks like. I saw how much people were interested in protecting their voting rights. This is especially true in minority communities where fewer sites to vote are available and many parents and others are required to work during voting hours. It would end our election transparency. It would enable ballot harvesting. And please don't allow them to take our vote away. Two proposals before the Board of Canvassers today. And there you just get a sampling of the public comment. Um, as both the Board of Gamblers is looking to review and approve the language, the 100-word summary that would come before you, the voter, but also whether or not the requisite number of signatures are there to move it onto the ballot. So two big questions here. It is the Reproductive Rights Act that would enshrine the right to get an abortion in the Michigan Constitution, and then a voting rights initiative. Now, Republicans say it is an election security erosion initiative, and again, there you have the debate. Some folks just said, you know what? These circulators, they were dishonest. I um, actually was out there getting signatures for something else for decertifying Michigan at one time. And I saw a lot of people doing the um, petitions to promote the vote. And it was a bunch of lies. So it needs to be rejected, period. Um, number seven is about reproductive freedom for all. That's also a bunch of lies. Yeah, they all, <laughs> they all lied. <laughs> Well, this is, like I said, a sampling of the public comment, and it went on for quite some time, most of the morning. So in the end, how did the canvassers vote? You get two Democrats, two Republicans. Did they move these initiatives on to the ballot? Beth LeBlanc has been covering that for the Detroit News, and she joins us today. Uh, I, I think we had a vote on the, uh, the, the voting rights referendum. Beth, how did it go? Yeah, so earlier today, the Board of State canvassers deadlocked 2-2 along party lines, uh, basically saying that they they couldn't come to a decision that essentially means that, that the group Promote the Vote will probably go up to the Michigan Supreme Court to see if the, the high court will kind of overrule this Board of State canvassers decision and, and certify the proposal for the ballot. And upon what did either side justify their vote? I mean, it certainly passed the review of the elections board. They had enough signatures. What was the hiccup? Yeah, so for both of these proposals, there's there's been no challenge to the signatures that they collected because both groups went far over what was required of them in terms of getting signatures. But for Promote the Vote in particular, one of the big issues that they that opponents brought up about it was that there were sections of the Constitution that they feel this proposal will like abrogate or alter that weren't listed on the petition. And opponents argued that, look, if you're going to change parts of the state Constitution with this proposal, you need to let voters and people signing this petition know each section that's going to be changed. 
and you didn't list all the sections that are going to be changed. Um, and there, there was some pushback on that saying, look, we're not, this actually doesn't, this doesn't change those. Like, this doesn't change those other parts of the Constitution. There was some disagreement over that. There was also a question of, should the Board of State canvassers decide what the legal ramifications of this petition is going to be? Because they kind of have like a very um, limited role in, in deciding how these petitions make it to the ballot in terms of form and and signature counts at the end of the day. So in terms of timing, uh, how quickly must the Supreme Court act in order to get this on the ballot? We've got ballots that need to be printed. Labor Day is closing upon us, and that's kind of the unofficial beginning of the of the campaign season. Yeah, yeah, they're definitely on a tight timeline here. Um, typically, content for the ballot needs to be finalized by September 9th so that clerks can get these the absentee ballots ready. Um, September 29th is, is when most of the absentee ballots start going out. Um, so they're on they're on a tight clock. It's it is a, a tight turnaround, but it's not like the Supreme Court hasn't been here before. Um, there's there's usually some sort of last minute challenge to some of these these uh, proposals that that put them on a tight deadline. So it's and I'm sure there are folks saying, well, you're talking about this referendum. Exactly what will it do? It's actually got a number of different components to it. Uh, but bottom line, it would extend the number of days of early voting. Uh, but it also has some election security initiatives in it, doesn't it? Um, you know, like a, a large a large number of things it does is is put in the Constitution things that are currently in state law. Um, so, for example, like right now, um, if, if you go to the voting booth and you don't have a photo ID, um, you can sign an affidavit like attesting to you are who you say you are. And that is in state law now. This would put it in the Constitution. One of the biggest changes, by all means, is, is the fact that it would um, essentially allow um, it would uh, allow for nine days of early voting, as you said, and it would also kind of solidify the ability of third parties to donate to elections um, and and to to help run elections mm-hmm. at the end of the day, which has been a, a source of controversy over the 2020 election as well. Yeah, the Republicans have a, have a hard time with the outside money coming in, the Facebook money, Bill Gates, things like that. They also um, have a hard time with maintaining that affidavit that you would sign. They want something stronger to prove identity uh, than that if you show up without an ID. Uh now, the abortion question, that was being debated as I was listening to the canvassers meeting today. A lot of that had to do with typos, run-on words, and the actual text of the petition. Uh, what's happened on, and has that been resolved, and is that going to be going to the voters? <laughs> or are the Supremes going to be very busy over Labor Day? <laughs> they are in the midst of debate over that right now, and, and you're right. The, the main focus of the debate is the fact that the petition that, that was signed by people to be put on the ballot lacks spacing in between words and in key sections of, of the constitutional language that would be changed. Um, opponents said, you know, we, we shouldn't be, how can we say that people signing this knew what they were signing when, when all those words were crammed together on the page? And then also, what if this language is the language that we need, we need to put in the constitution and there's no spacing between the words? How do we decide on where to put the spacing or, or what have you? 
So that is being currently debated right now um, with a lot of back and forth about what the duty of the board is and whether they can get involved in a fight like this or whether they need to leave it up to the courts. Right now, it, it is looking like another 2-2 deadlock, if, if I had to predict right now. But mm-hmm. um, either way, even if they rule against it, even if they rule for it, I think it's going to head to the courts at the end of the day. Well, there's also a debate over the 100-word summary. And I know that the proponents of the Re- Reproductive Rights Act aren't very happy about that. Jonathan Brader wrote it and pointed out in the text that this would nullify a number of Michigan laws, and they weren't too keen on that. Yeah, I I believe, um, you know, supporters for, for the amendment felt that the 100-word summary was that, that line specifically about it kind of um, nullifying laws currently on the books, that it was a little too overreaching. So, yeah, that, that's a debate that's probably going to come still today. Um, they haven't gotten to that, to that argument yet, but I'm, I'm sure there are enough hours in the day to, to get to all of that. <laughs> no. no, and of course, everybody is threatening to go to court. And, and, and you know what, if, on behalf of the voters, if it leads to greater clarity and so that we can, we can actually understand what the consequences of this would be, as, as complicated as it might be, if they can lay it out so that we can at least read it and have a decent chance at being an informed voter, gosh, wouldn't that be nice? Well, I, I think the courts will decide at the end of the day. I mean, yeah. they, either way, this, this proposal is landing in court, yeah. however the Board of Canvassers vote today. Beth, thanks very much. We'll await the outcome. Tony Daunt, a Republican on the Board of Canvassers, explains why he decided against putting the abortion question on the ballot to Chris Renwick and Sean Belegian on the Paul W. Smith Show. Um, in the meantime, um, Michigan's Board of Canvassers yesterday uh, came out and made a decision on whether or not the uh, abortion rights proposal that was written after gathering enough signatures through petitions to put uh, a, a, a proposal on the ballot to basically codify abortion rights here in Michigan, putting it directly into the state constitution. But yesterday, Michigan's election panel deadlocked on whether to certify the abortion rights measure for this false ballot, which means that it's off the ballot. Uh, the two Democrat members of the board voted in favor of placing reproductive freedom for all's amendment on the ballot, while the two Republican members on the board, Richard Housecamp and Tony Daunt, voted against the amendment being on the ballot. And just so happens we've got Tony Daunt on the other end of our line right now. Tony, nice to have you with us. Yeah, thank you for having me. Good morning. Um, so, talk to me about what went into this, uh, into the to the decision for for you specifically to vote against putting the the measure on the ballot. What what were the the factors that you considered? Sure, uh, happy to to lay that out. Um, so, as part of our process and our our role on the board of canvassers, these organizations um, that want to put these uh, issues into our constitution, they want to amend the constitution, they want to add to the constitution. Or similarly, um, they want to uh, initiate legislation through the petition process. Mm -hmm. They generally will come to us ahead of time and seek what's called approval to form. 
And so they're seeking approval of the font size, kind of the, it's called the four corners of the, of the petition, as they say, um, and looking at different things, you know, how it's laid out. Um, does it meet certain requirements as, as required by law to be out before voters circulating, having them sign petitions? Um, and this group did this. They, they did come to us. They presented us um, what they intended to circulate. And after some, you know, back and forth on, on a little bit of the language, uh, on the, the 100 word summary for people, um, they went out and circulated that. It was then discovered uh, in the challenge process by opponents of this measure that what they had submitted for approval and which we provided to them was not what they circulated. Now, some people say, oh, you know, as a minor issue, it's a typo. It was some spacing related to wording in the ballot proposal. But the fact of the matter is the law says um, it should look a certain way. Um, the, the opponents were saying, you know, you have to, it has to be in English. And when you look at the words and they're all mashed together, it isn't English. It isn't words. It's just, it's just as they said, gibberish. For me, what was truly important was we had provided approval on this issue, regardless of my personal stance on, on abortion. People in this state wanted this. We gave them condition, you know, we gave them approval to go out. And what mm -hmm. they ended up submitting through a mistake of their own was not what we approved. And I think it's important to follow the rule of law and the law as it's written. And uh, regardless of the content, I, I would have said the same thing about something I support. It's important to do what you've been approved and what you say you're going to do. And that people who are signing this and then people who see it on the ballot know what they're what they're signing for and what they're voting on. Tony, this is this is interesting because, you know, obviously this is such a hot button topic. Is, is this a case of them trying to fast track this? Because I, I'm not sure who said it, but I, I mean, think of a mortgage. If if you make these mistakes in a legal document, it, it, it can't be accepted. How did this happen? Any guess as to how this happened? Was it just in the hurry to try to get this in? It, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, you know, it, and it was it was me who made that that uh, um, argument about mortgages, and you know, I think yeah. I mentioned to you, wouldn't, you wouldn't turn in a term paper um, intentionally sure. with those types of mistakes. And you know, I, I can't speak for them. I think ultimately what happened was this: they were in a hurry, they wanted to get out on the street and circulating, and they had a bunch of these things printed. They didn't realize it was wrong. It was wrong until uh, you know late in the process. And they kind of figured, you know what, we're going to have to deal with this on the back end. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate. That's why, that's why, you know, having been on the other side of this process, you want to make sure that you, you look at these things and, and look at it with, a, a, you know, a, a fine-tooth comb to make sure that everything is correct before you print a bunch of them and put them out on the street and have people circulate them. Um, I, I'm curious to know, you talk about the rule of law and following the rule of law, and I couldn't possibly agree with you more, it, it, it context aside. But but where are we going with this now? Because it, the, the, the Board of Canvassers has made the decision, uh, you sit on that board, and now you've got the, the Reproductive Freedom for All People, that group, asking the Supreme Court, the Michigan Supreme Court, to put that proposal uh, amendment 
the the uh, uh, the constitutional amendment proposal on the ballot is that something that the Supreme Court can do? Is that overstepping? Where where, where are we at now going forward? Yeah, good question. Um, you know, in in the history of this board, the board of canvassers. Uh, Deadlocking, you know, usually kind of partisan deadlocking on certain issues due to interpretation of law is is relatively common. And the proponents of something that's been rejected due to the deadlock will go to the court and seek what's called a writ of mandamus, essentially asking the court to, you know, come back to us and say, no, you have to do this. And so that's what they've done. Um, It's common practice. And we'll see uh, we'll see what happens with the court's decision. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Uh, I, I know that, you know, this is a hot button issue. Sean said it. And, and this is something that, you know, everybody's going to come under fire for one way or the other. People aren't going to be happy. People are going to be happy. It's a tough subject to tackle. And obviously, you guys have a serious job to do at the Board of Canvassers. I appreciate you coming on this morning uh, and weighing in and, and providing some insight to what you were thinking. Thank you, Tony Don. Dana Nessel, the Democrat incumbent for Attorney General, announced she will not debate Republican challenger Matt DiPerno, claiming he's not a serious candidate. DiPerno with Kevin Dietz on All Talk. Matt DiPerno is behind in the polls in his effort to unseat Attorney General Dana Nessel. Dana Nessel has more money in her campaign fund and should have no problem getting her message out to voters through commercials. Matt DiPerno's best chance to gain ground is a debate against the Attorney General. If he wins the debate, he may win over voters. The problem is Dana Nessel will not debate him. Dana Nessel says, quote, Mr. DiPerno's inability to distinguish fact from fiction and his persistent use of disparaging, dangerous tropes are beneath the dignity of the office he seeks to hold. I will not be a party to creating a form which will further allow Mr. DiPerno to disseminate such hateful and dangerous rhetoric. Joining us now is Matt DiPerno, Republican nominee for Michigan Attorney General. Good morning, Matt. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you coming on. What is your reaction to uh, Dana Nessel's comments there and the fact that she will not uh, debate you? Well, certainly, um, you know, I'll, I'll take issue with the idea that you with, you say that uh, we're behind in the polls. We're actually dead even. Uh, we'll have a poll coming out just in the next couple of days that will show that we're statistically tied with her. Um, so, she doesn't want to debate because she doesn't want to put her record um, up in front of everyone. Uh, she didn't debate before the last election. She now wants to uh, go into the, this next election without another debate. Uh, she doesn't want to talk about the big issues or her record. Like, for instance, we have the highest crime rate uh, in Michigan in decades. We've got illegal fentanyl flowing across the border, killing our children, destroying families. Uh, you know, she's got more police under investigation right now in the state than any time in the state's history. We're now number 10 in sex trafficking. She doesn't want to talk about these things or put her actual record up on the stage. Uh, and frankly, she knows if she debates me, she's going to lose. Debates are a big part of American tradition. They're, they're not mandatory. Um, is there anything you can do about it? Is the media calling her out on this? Because in my opinion, it's a big deal. You should you should debate uh, when you want to hold an important elected office. Well, absolutely, she should debate. And, you know, she wants to say that, I, you know, I, I, I put out rhetoric that uh, she doesn't like. Well, listen, uh, she does the exact same thing 
She's put out uh, many lies about me. She just over the last day called me a white supremacist. Uh, all these things, these are democratic tropes that she uses and her party uses. Just look at Joe Biden's speech last night. That was a hateful, uh, rhetoric-filled speech. Um, so Dana should get on the stage and defend her record. Listen, she she sent uh, you know elderly to COVID-infected nursing homes against medical advice. She did it for political reasons. Whitmer did, and Dana Nessel refused to investigate anything about it. But people died in this state because of that scandal, and Dana Nessel came out and said. Uh, she wouldn't conduct an investigation because she has coffee with Whitmer and their friends. These are things that she has to answer for. You know, Dana Nessel also said that she would not enforce uh, any abortion law in Michigan. Um, is it a problem when the attorney general picks and chooses what laws to uh, enforce? Well, absolutely it is. That's another uh, issue that she doesn't want to talk about. Uh, you know, we need a rule of law attorney general who's going to enforce the state law and the Constitution. It's not up to her to decide what laws to enforce. That's a legislative issue. Uh, so, you know, Dana Nessel, listen, she supports uh, partial birth abortion up to the day of delivery for any reason at any time. That's an issue she should get on stage and defend her position. She should take questions from the media. And I hope the media does call her out for this. Because right now, you know, she gets a lot of positive press uh, from the local media. But it's time that they actually look at her and demand that she get on stage and defend her last four years. I should tell listeners, we asked Dana Nessel to come on. Uh, we did not get a response. She, of course, is welcome uh, anytime to come on and respond. Uh, what, is, what is your biggest criticism of the job Dana Nessel is doing? Why, why should voters fire her? Well, look at her court record. Um, one of the biggest problems she had is the way she dealt with the Flint water case. She came into office. She dismissed all of the, the cases filed by Bill Schuette. She then, uh, for political reasons, just went after um, Rick Snyder and attacked him. Uh, she got indictments using a one-person grand jury. And in a 6-0 decision, the Michigan Supreme Court recently came down and said that she'd weaponized her office against her political opponents, uh, created a unconstitutional star chamber against them, and these cases were dismissed. Most of these cases now are past the statute of limitations, and no person in Flint will ever see justice because of the incompetence of Dana Nessel. She's done the same type of stuff against people with re deeply held religious beliefs, attack them in court, She's been slammed by federal judges because of her actions. Uh, she is uh, she really is an incompetent attorney general who uses her office for political reasons to promote her social agenda. What are the what are the reasons people should vote for you to replace her? Well, I'm an, I've been an attorney for 27 years, practice constitutional law that fits right in with the uh, the 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 type of cases that will be brought by the uh, attorney general's office. I've, I've told people over and over again, we will enforce the law. We'll bring down the crime rate in the state. We're going to bring business back to Michigan. Uh, businesses are fleeing the state saying they'll no longer invest in Michigan because they're afraid that the governor 
will weaponize the healthcare department against their business and shut them down again. Businesses are saying no to these uh, mandates. I've told people over and over again, we'll never have mandates and lockdowns again. Businesses are also leaving because we have a broken education system. And the attorney general's office has a lot to do with that. When I'm attorney general, we will, we will no longer permit critical race theory to be taught in our schools. And that's a, that's a parental issue. Parents want to know what their kids are being taught in school. Dana Nessel comes out and says she wants to put drag queens in every school. So we're going to bring business back to Michigan by having a business-friendly uh, um, environment. She continues to attack large farms across the state, constantly uh, filing lawsuits against them, enforcing these draconian regulations against farmers. She wants to shut down Line 5, which artificially increases our energy costs. Uh, she's constantly attacking gun rights. These are all issues that we're going to change when I'm attorney general. In a debate, would you be concerned about Dana Nessel coming at you about her accusations with voting machines and, 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 and tampering and a- illegal access to voting machines? No, absolutely not. Uh, and she should she should get on stage and defend her actions because all of this is done for political reasons. Here's the narrative that she tried to create. And again, she does this so that I have to go on radio shows and defend against these vile accusations. First, she comes out and says that it was illegal uh, to uh, for local clerks to give permission to investigators to look at tabulators. That narrative has slowly changed over the last couple of weeks because she went to the, her friendly Oakland County prosecutor friends. She tried to get indictments. She couldn't do it because they told her, never weaponize your office against your political opponent. Then she comes out and says she needs a special prosecutor. Now the narrative is slowly changing. Now the narrative is, hey, maybe it's not illegal, but it's still bad. This was done by her. She used state dollars to attack a political opponent to gain favor with voters um, and uh, everyone, whether you're a Republican, Democrat, or independent, you should be concerned with your attorney general weaponizing their office against their political opponent. It is incredibly damaging to our republic. Matt Perno is ready to debate. Dana Nessel will not do it. You're listening to All Talk on WJR. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, a Democrat running in the 6th, went on Paul W. Smith Monday morning to discuss the EPA designated two common chemicals as forever chemicals. Uh, always a pleasure speaking with our Congresswoman Debbie Dingell. She's been uh, squawking for a long time uh, to get the EPA to pay attention to uh, PFAS and forever, forever chemicals as hazardous. And she's here to give us her latest report and success. Congresswoman Dingle, welcome back to the Paul W. Smith Show. Good morning, Paul W. And we did get some good news on Friday. As you know, when the listeners may remember, PFAS and PFO are forever chemicals. 98% of us have it in our blood. It's building up. It's gone into the Huron Riverway, which is going into the Detroit River. We have do not eat fish warning in the Huron River uh, because of it. Michigan, uh, who may not have always been known for being ahead of us water, is the state that is the most ahead. I'm looking for it. 
identifying it. Uh, we're trying to get it cleaned up. But on Friday, the EPA announced that it would place, it would designate PFO and PFOS, which are two of the most notorious and harmful chem- chemicals, uh, will go on to uh, the un- under CERCLA, will be designated as hazardous chemicals. Um, so it's it's a it's a very important thing. There's a rule making now, but it's going to happen. It's going to jumpstart nationwide cleanups. It's going to prevent future PFAS contamination. It's going to hold polluters accountable, and I'm really excited about it. Though I still want to see the legislation I've introduced passed, so we can't get a future president who decides to take it back. Well. Um you know, the, the issue here is that they haven't banned the chemicals. Uh, this is one of the most significant actions that the EPA has taken to date on the PFAS chemicals. I am stunned to learn in studying for our conversation, Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, that these compounds we're talking about are among more than 4,000 human-made chemicals that are often called forever chemicals. Um, This is such a problem, it's unbelievable. You want to talk about the increase in certain cancers? Uh, It is from our environment. It is from our water, from our air, from our soil. And this is just one of 4,000 chemicals, Congresswoman. It's two. And these are the ones that we know are the most notorious and the most harmful the studies have been done. You know, people in the in the plants that they've been manufactured in have much higher increases of cancer. The companies themselves studied it and knew that they were uh, having the side effects from it. We want to have them study the broader group of chemicals. And Paul W., people don't know where this PFAS is. It's in, you know, I bought Teflon pans. I burned my cooking. Uh, it's in Teflon pans. It's in your socks. It's in food containers. It's in makeup. It is in so many things. The, the most dangerous has been in firefighting foam. So, therefore, airports have it. We find that one of the biggest places of contamination is military installations uh, because they have had to use this kind of foam at them. And we know that we've got several in this state that have had PFAS and PFO uh, contamination and in it. And by the way, the next thing that we've got to do is set a water standard. There's a, a, a guideline for water. And that standard, the guideline, is lower than when Rick Snyder was governor. He established a scientific committee that set a drinking water standard for Michigan for PFAS. And Rick Snyder's scientific task force set a higher standard for PFAS in water than the guideline is at EPA right now. (sighs) Well... At least it's a step in the right direction. We have to take these small baby steps uh, before we get to any giant leaps, that's for sure. Before I let you go, uh, because you're the only person I'm going to talk to today that has direct access to the president, would you ask him to consider forgiving uh, our utility bills since he forgave the college loans? Because more than 20 million households, one in six American homes, are currently behind on the utility bills. And that's pretty important for all of us. So if you'd ask him that, I'd appreciate it. 
I will, but I'll tell you what, Paul W., for people that are really hurting, we have LAHEAP, and we've also done it on water for people at certain income levels. Good for you. Good for you. Good answer. Thanks much. Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, 729. Republican Congresswoman Lisa McLean, running in the 9th District, stops by the studio to talk to Kevin Dietz on All Talk about a myriad of issues and questions facing the Republican Party. What's happening to Donald Trump in the January 6th committee hearings looking at misconduct in office, the Georgia investigation into election interference, the confidential records investigation at Mar-a-Lago, even the New York civil case alleging Trump inflated property values? Will all of this scare off independent voters from voting for those that Donald Trump has endorsed? Or will it rile up the Republican base to come out in record numbers and make sure Trump-endorsed candidates win in the general election? Joining us now is Congresswoman Congresswoman Lisa McLean, Republican from the 10th District, and she's in the building. Hello. Hello. How are you? Welcome to WJR. Thanks for having me. Great it's, studio. It's been a long time since the pandemic. We haven't had many guests here. Uh, we've just talked on the radio. It's nice to be here in person. Yeah, we appreciate you being here. So, uh, you know, when you look at this, or a lot of people look at this and they say, man, people are piling on Donald Trump. Is he possibly uh, breaking laws in all all of these places and all of these investigations? And when you look at them individually, it's pretty easy to poke holes in all of these investigations. From where you sit, what do you think is happening? What I think is happening is I think the Democrats are scared to death. I mean, if Joe Biden really won by over 7 million votes, why are they so scared? From Russian collusion to everything that's going on right now, at the end of the day, let's just be truthful and honest with the American people. Um, You you know, you saw what happened at Mar-a-Lago. That is unprecedented, and we can talk about this um, for, for hours. But at the end of the day, then we get the warrant and everything's redacted. It's like, what are you hiding? What you look you look like you're scared. And what are you scared of? I mean, at the end of the day, what are you scared of? And I think this is going to energize not only the Republican base, but I think it's also going to energize the average American or the independent. Look at what's happening in government now. It's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And if government can do an unprecedented secret raid on a former president, in the same time frame that they're hiring 87,000 more IRS agents, I think the American people are, are, are have great uh, a deal of pause because if they can do that to a former president and that overreach with a former president, with 87,000 new IRS agents, they're coming for you next. You know... The Donald uh, or uh, Joe Biden, his his approval rating is very low, but it's ticking up. It's at forty four percent now, which which is low. Uh, independents uh, are are pushing that number up. What are they? What are they hearing? What are they seeing? What are they missing? Are they are they happy that some legislation is finally being passed? That something is getting done? Or are they steering away from Donald Trump because they're because they think so, there's so much smoke, there must be some fire. I think there's a little bit of truth to the if there's smoke, there's fire. That's the narrative that the Democrats are doing right now. And let's be honest, is I wouldn't want to talk about if I'm a Democrat, eight and a half percent inflation. I wouldn't talk about the crisis at the border. I wouldn't talk about supply chain issues. I have to manufacture a problem that isn't there. If they spent as much time, effort, and energy on the true problems, inflation, 11 million jobs opening, um, crime, 
that's what they need to be spending time on. But instead, they can't admit there's a problem. We must do this diversion tax tactic and they can't quit Trump. I mean, they don't want to talk about the issues, so they want to manufacture problems that aren't really even there. It is amazing uh, how much they talk about Donald Trump. I mean, he's not running for president. They want to make sure he doesn't run for president. Um, Obviously, his his endorsements have had a big impact, so they know how powerful he is. But it's like it's like fighting a ghost. I I mean, they but they keep coming and coming and coming. Do do you think it's working? Um, I I think it's working, but I think it's working working on both sides, right? I I think if anything, Trump is more fired up than he's ever been. Um, And I think the American people have got a taste of what Biden's bad, you know, President Biden's bad policies actually are. And I think they're they're afraid. Um, I think the Democrats are afraid of that because all you have to do is look at what has happened in the past two years. And this country has gone from a leader in on the world stage to looking very weak. Um, our economy was was flourishing, and look at what's happening now. So I, I think it's I, I think it has an impact on both sides. And the one thing I, I will say is focus on the issues. Let's talk about the issues. You know, they, they you notice they never talk about the issues. They always have to talk and personalize it. Let's eliminate the people and let's talk about the issues. Let's talk about the economy. Let's talk about the border. Let's talk about the inflation. But we don't do that. We have to belittle and disgrace the person. And to me, if you have to attack me personally, then I must be winning on the issues because obviously you can't debate me. You know, you talked, you mentioned crime as an issue. Uh, This week, Joe Biden uh, is going to talk about crime today and again Thursday in a primetime uh, press conference or, or speech to the, to the nation. Um, he's going to say that uh, he, he would like to ban assault rifles uh, and that if uh, they hold the House and the Senate that they will get that done. He, he's going to imply that it's Republicans that are weak on crime and that Democrats are out there doing stuff about the gun issue and, and, and trying to reduce crime. Do, does the public buy that? Um, I think there's a small portion of the public that buys that. But when you're living in a city um, where you can't go to the grocery store, you can't go to the Walmart, you can't ride the subway, um, you you can't, you know, walk on the street for fear of getting mugged or robbed or something devastating shot happening to you, I, I think that has a real impact on a lot of people. And, you know, I'm sitting here in studio with you. Just because somebody says something doesn't make it true. I say all the time, hey, if I tell you I'm a six foot two blonde supermodel, you see me. I'm anything but six two and I'm not blonde. <laughs> <laughs> but you are a supermodel. <laughs> so the, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the Democrats were talking about defund the police like crazy just mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. Now can they just flip the switch and say, no, fund the police. We're, we're for law and order. Yeah, that's what they're, they're trying to do. But at the end of the day, the damage is already done. And the whole issue with defunding the police um, is a joke. They know it's a joke. Um, and these same Democrats that talk about defunding the police are the exact same Democrats that spend hundreds of thousands of dollars on their own private police de- protection. Well, my my question to them is, if we're going to defund the police, why don't you just have a social worker, um, you know, around you 24-7? You don't need the police. You, you need somebody to calm the situation down. 
your actions don't match your words. And at the end of the day, we need to be on the side of the people who are doing the right thing. And we need to punish and penalize and send a message to the criminals. We need to put people first. And that's what we're not doing with defunding the police. People, Democrats will say, uh, if you're if Republicans are for law and order, uh, why not uh, let the chips fall where they may with Donald Trump? And a lot of Republicans say, we just don't trust the FBI anymore. We think the DOJ may be political. What are your thoughts? I, I think they are, are spot on on that, is if you look at the FBI and the, and the DOJ, what, why can't you be truthful? Why can't you be tr- transparent? And the other thing I would say is, why don't you play by the same rules for both parties and for all? all people, right? We're, justice is supposed to be blind. Well, you have an unprecedented raid on, on Mar-a-Lago, but yet you have Hillary Clinton with 30,000 emails on her personal email, her personal server that we don't even look at. So if we're going to play by the same rules, let's just all play by the same rules. We have to take a quick break. You're welcome to stay for the next break if you have time. If not, we understand. We're talking with Lisa McLean, Congresswoman for the 10th District. We'll be right back. You're listening to WJR. Are you worried that the FBI is too political? Are investigations becoming partisan? Are in elections being influenced? We're having a conversation with Congresswoman Lisa McLean of the 10th District. Uh, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, you were talking when we went to break about Hillary Clinton. Um, how is what Hillary Clinton did different than what Donald Trump did and maybe even worse than what Donald Trump did. At the end of the day, um, she had 30,000 emails on her personal server that she deleted, deleted. Donald Trump supposedly has documents that are classified when we can argue about that, uh, whether they're classified, whether he declassified them, whatever it may be. But we do a full-fledged raid on Mar-a-Lago, and we say there's no no issue with Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's no different between Hunter Biden and Don Jr. A- at the end of the day, just play by the same rules. That's where people lose credibility. I mean, if we're going to play a baseball game, you get three strikes, I get three strikes. What's happening right now is... I get three strikes, you get six. Well, that's not fair. And the and, and the, peop, the American people know that. And that's the frustrating part. It used to be that justice was blind. It's not. There are different rules for depending on who you are. And that's good and that's bad. Um, you, you see it positively, um, you see it negatively, very few positive. But at the end of the day, we have to have a fair justice system and we have to have the flu- rule of law. If you don't have the lo- rule of law, you have an- an- anarchy, excuse me. And that's what I-, I think we're seeing now in these cities. Um, we have laws on the books, but we don't enforce them. James Comey said there's no reason anyone would uh, indict Hillary Clinton. Um, if the DOJ now comes back and charges Donald Trump, what does that tell the American people? The law hasn't changed in that time. Well, what it tells you is there's rules for me and there's rules for thee. I, I mean, at, at the end of the day, it, it's really clear. You know, if if I'm doing if the speed limit's 55 and I'm doing 65 and, and you're doing 65 and we both get pulled over, we both need to get a ticket because we both broke the law. Is the FBI interfering with elections by deciding uh, what 
investigations to make public, which ones to downplay. There's been a lot of talk about uh, Facebook and, and, and Zuckerberg in this conversation about Hunter Biden's laptop. What are your thoughts there? My thoughts is social media um, is a very dangerous venue. Um, yes, I think the, the FBI, the DOJ is is way too politicized. At the end of the day, they're supposed to be nonpartisan and they're supposed to follow the rule of law for all people. And I think that's what's frustrating the American people is there's a, you know, there's different, there's different laws for different people. Um, and to use my example is if we both got stopped for going 65 and a 55, one of us would get off and one of us would go to jail. So at the end of the day, just do your job. And, so, and let the politicians play politics. So Lindsey Graham was talking about the difference between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. And, and, and he said something to uh, the effect that if they if they charge Donald Trump after letting Hillary Clinton go on this, there, there could be riots in the street. Um, should we be talking like that? A short answer is no. We should never riot Right. We have I believe in protests. I believe people need to be heard, but we we don't need to riot. We don't need violence to get our point across for either side. Violence doesn't work. Um, But again, when you don't follow the rule of law, you are going to get anarchy. And that's where you see that's what you see happening all around. And when people say, uh, let's let's wait and see, you know, this is all redacted. All, all these documents are redacted. Let's wait and see what is there. Let, let, let the Department of Justice do their work and, and, and then we'll find out. What impact does that have if these this raid comes right before the midterms and this, in, in, in this investigation or possibly charges come right before an election? Well, I'm not much for coincidences, and that would be a big coincidence. Um, it, it's just again, it's political. He, it, he, they've sat on these documents. If there are, if there is something the matter, just ironic. Coincidentally, it happens right before the midterms. That you know what that tells me? The Democrats are scared. They are scared to death that Donald Trump is going to be um, is going to run for president, and they will do everything in their power even if they have to make stuff up to make sure that that doesn't happen, which again is very interesting to me if Joe Biden won this election by 7 million votes and he's doing such a great job. So which story are you going with? And, and if you in Congress wanted to uh, call out the FBI on this, would you be able to get hearings or would it, would the process be killed in, 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 as you went through it? Well, hopefully in November the gavel will change. And when the gavel changes... I think you're going to see the Republicans um, call into question some of these decision makers, such as Mayorkas and and the FBI and the DOJ, and demand answers for the American people. Talk about the border a little bit, because we haven't we haven't got to that yet. It, it, it seems like this should be a very important issue to people. And I know it is, but it, 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 it's usually falling like fourth or fifth. Why do you think the border is such an issue? And, and what's going to happen with all of these people who are flooding into the country? Are they eventually going to be vote, voting in elections? I think it's such an important issue because of the long-term effects and the long-term ramifications. You're going to have millions of undocumented people in this country illegally. And it does two things. I think why why it may be fourth or fifth is because 
people that aren't on the southern uh, southern border right now aren't truly feeling those effects as much as the people on the southern border are feeling um the long-term ramifications of this, whether it be on our healthcare systems, our school systems, or our um, social programs, eventually you are going to have some long-term effects and the, the true Americans who have paid into these programs and paid into these systems are going to, to take a backseat to the people who haven't paid into the programs and who are here illegally. And the other thing I want to talk about that makes me spitting mad, I could tell you um, about several cases right now that I'm trying to get through um, legally immigrated. Legally. I have one case in particular where her mother died. Her father has a green card um, over here. The mother is um, a citizen in Mexico. The The young girl is 14 years old. We're trying to get the 14-year-old over here with her father. She's basically living from place to place. There's no family members because her mother has unfortunately passed away from COVID. We can't get her over here because there's not enough um, agents that are working to process the case. This has been in flux for nine months I mean, the best, the easiest way to get her over here is go go pay the cartels eight grand to have them smuggle her over here. I mean, what what are we doing? We are incentivizing bad behavior at the expense of people who are trying to get into the United States legally. Those are the people that are paying the price. And the new jobs are going to go to the IRS. Uh, interesting. Uh, Lisa McLean, Congresswoman from the 10th District, thanks for coming in today and thanks for sharing your thoughts. We appreciate it. Thank you for what you do. All right, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to WJR, where Detroit comes to talk. They'll do it for this week's Pod Suey Voters Guide. Keep it tuned to AM 760 WJR and the great voice all election season. See you next time.